0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. We'll be covering the latest hot topics from the blogosphere with Genealogy Insider and managing editor Diane Haddad. In our top tips segment, contributing editor David Frixell will be here to talk about his upcoming article outlining 14 genealogy tasks that you can do on your lunch break. We'll be spotlighting another terrific website and the 101 best websites for tracing your roots list. In the Best of Family Tree magazine segment, we'll be talking about researching and preserving family traditions with author and teacher Lisa Alzo. And in our Libby Spotlight segment, we'll be visiting with Brenton Simons, CEO of the New England Historic Genealogical Society, to highlight their terrific library. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Editor's Desk with Allison Stacy. Well, you're all familiar with Allison Stacey's editor's column called Out on a Limb that appears at the beginning of each issue of the magazine. Well, in each episode of the podcast, we have the chance to check in with Allison and get the inside scoop on what's up at the magazine. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. So, Allison, I thought we could maybe um, take a moment because I know one of my favorite areas of the magazine is the toolkit. And I was hoping that you could kind of um, highlight it for the listeners and just um, give us some ideas about what we can find there in that section and what might be coming up down the road.
1: Sure thing. Uh, It's actually one of my favorite sections too. I've been working on it for the past nine years at the magazine, so um, it's something I'm pretty close to. But the basic concept is um, the toolkit section gives reviews and roundups of the latest and greatest family history resources. Um, That entails several different kinds of articles. For example, we might cover a specific website um, and how to use it. Um, We do a lot of software reviews uh, of new programs and major upgrades to popular programs and we cover both Windows and Mac. We also do help with personal computing and gadgets, um, how to do different computer tricks um, and shortcuts as well as um, things like video cameras and scanners and digital cameras. We also have charts that highlight a particular kind of website. They're called Quick Hits. Um, We might do tombstone transcription databases uh, or obituary websites, um, that kind of thing, and it's just an at-a-glance introduction to what you can find on those websites and a few hints for using them. And then last but not least, the last page of the toolkit is always our book report column, and this showcases a few new books of interest to genealogists. We pick one must-read resource for genealogists, and we get a reading recommendation from a genealogy guru, either a professional researcher, a librarian, a society officer, or anybody who's in a kind of leadership role.
0: I love the toolkit because it is kind of focused on the the techie side of things. I know I got to do the article in November on podcasting and genealogy podcasts, and there's there's so many new things coming out. Um, It's really cool. It's really kind of like the how-to section, isn't it?
1: That is exactly the idea. Um, We know that a lot of folks are looking for information specifically, not just um, tell us that these resources are available, but also to explain really what those resources can do for you. And that's something that is important to me, too. Um, I'm a little bit of a technophile, and I'm always looking for nifty new tools and hints and shortcuts that I can use to make technology work better for me. Um, And so that's why one of the reasons I enjoy working on the Toolkit so much is because I typically learn something new in every issue.
0: Oh, yeah. So tell us, what kinds of things does the editor learn from the Toolkit?
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, we're working on our March issue right now, and uh, Rick Kroom, who is our regular software reviewer and a contributing editor, um, and he also reports on web stuff for us, um, he did a Quick Hits chart on free online photo editors. I had not realized that these existed. Um, What they're sort of geared toward is editing digital images on photo-sharing websites like Picasa, PhotoBucket, and SmugMug, Mm -hmm. as well as social networks, Facebook, MySpace, and that kind of thing. Um, And something else I didn't realize, though, is that you can use those online photo editors to image edit images directly on your hard drive so it's not just ones hosted online and oh. some of them are some of them are pretty extensive it's kind of um really more for not your um intensive photo retouching of old scanned um photographs from the 1800s but um more modern digital photos but you can do um some pretty neat special effects with them as well
0: oh how neat and that's going to be coming up in the uh, march 2009 issue right, right. And then
1: one other recent article that I thought was very helpful um, is in the January issue for t- December January two thousand nine, and um, it's on the Family Search Record Search Pilot site. And for those of you who are familiar with it, um, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints um, genealogy arm has been digitizing records and working with volunteers to index records on microfilm, and they're posting these. Um, records and indexes as they're finished on this pilot site and you anybody can get onto it right now um, it's totally free and um, there's all kinds of nifty um, features in there, some that I hadn't been aware of. One of those is there are sample PDF documents um, that go with the record sets and um, if you find a record that you're interested in you can call up one of these sample documents and it'll show you exactly um, where all of the key facts are located in that record so kind of calls out this is the place of birth this is the death date this is um the spouse that kind of thing it's really helpful
0: oh that's great you know every issue there's something new in that toolkit section and and i want to make sure to put out to the listeners um if you have a tech topic that you'd like to see in the toolkit section uh, drop us a line at fdmpodcast at com and uh, let us know. Maybe Allison will incorporate it into an upcoming issue. Thanks so much for talking to us about the toolkit, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Well, it's that time in the podcast when we get to find out what's going on in the genealogical blogosphere with the genealogy insider Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Tell us what's going on in the blogosphere this month.
2: Okay. Well, there's some pretty exciting uh, releases of records. Um, the first one is a release from Ancestry.com, it's the product of a partnership with Jewish Gen. With that website, and also with the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee website, Ancestry.com is now hosting all of Jewish Gen's material, and that will remain free on Ancestry.com's website. So that whatever digitized images there are will be free, and also the indexes will be free. So that's pretty exciting. It's more than. 26 million names so far. Um, Additions to the site, to the Jewish records collection, might or might not be free, but everything released this week will be.
0: Oh, that sounds great. Those partnerships really benefit all of us when they can make arrangements like that where we we know we can get some free access to some of those great records.
2: Yeah, and I think Ancestry.com has such a broad reach, even beyond the traditional genealogical community. So, Um, People who might have not heard of these other organizations that have records will now find out about them.
0: Well, that sounds great. Now, you were also mentioning to me that there's a new site going up. uh, Was it worldhistory.com?
2: It is. That's from Family Link, which is the former worldvitalrecords.com. They just changed the corporate name to Family Link and they are working on a site called worldhistory.com. It's still in beta, it's a private beta test. So people who had registered to um, be able to use this site before a public release, those people are able to look at it fully and evaluate it. For now, they just have, for all the rest of us, uh, demos on their website. And it looks really interesting. It's basically an interactive mapping tool it sort of combines a map with the timeline, and you can choose a period on that timeline and then see on the map little markers. You click on a marker and you'll see what event that depicts. So you can use a timeline, you can look at, say, all events related to the Civil War and see a map of Civil War battles. You also can um, look at the place where your ancestor lived and then you'll see what other important events happened at that time and where those happened. So it gives you a nice little picture of, you know, maybe what their lives were like.
0: Yeah, I get the feeling that it's a pretty ambitious project. They're going to try and just pull together all of world history. It would be a great place to go to check the timeline and compare it to what was going on with your ancestors at that time.
2: I'm pretty excited to get in there and start using it.
0: Now, you also mentioned that there was something new going on at Footnote, right?
2: Yes. um, Footnote, about a year ago, partnered with the National Archives and with FamilySearch to digitize Civil War pension records. And that's exciting because, as a lot of genealogists know, the National Archives has not been able to microfilm these records. And so if a genealogist wanted their ancestor's Civil War pension, they had to order it for upwards of $75. Exactly. So, yeah, that can get pretty pricey. So footnote has begun with Family Search to digitize these records and put them on its website. So we just saw the first release this week, and it is um, widows' pensions, pension applications that were approved.
0: Wow, I just love it. There is so much coming online. Every day, it's new, isn't it?
2: <laughs> there is. It's very exciting, and more and more people are going to start doing their genealogy because it's just so much more accessible
0: exactly hey diane thanks for keeping an eye out on what's You're going welcome. on in the blogosphere and keeping us up to date we'll uh, talk to you next episode okay With the hustle and bustle of the holidays coming up, I thought it would be helpful to ask our friend and contributing editor, David Frixell to come back to the show and give us some tips from his upcoming article. It's called 14 Genealogy Tasks That You Can Do On Your Lunch Break. Welcome back to the show, David. Thanks. You know, David, as busy as things are getting this time of year, I don't think any of us really want to drop the ball on our genealogy research, so... I'm really excited to hear some of your ideas for squeezing in genealogy, even when we're super busy. So what can we actually get done during our lunch breaks?
3: Well, actually quite a lot. Obviously a lot of the things that you can get done have to do with the Internet. So it helps if you have Internet access uh, for your lunch break or wherever you are at lunch. So you can do things just as simple as searching for your ancestors using something like Google uh, and I particularly like the new, relatively new feature called Google Books. I, as I described in the article, I, by various combinations of searching for ancestors, I've made a lot of breakthroughs. And it doesn't take very long to, uh, you know, make real progress. You can also do all kinds of uh, things uh, in terms of specific records. So I talk about how to get military records. You can actually do that, you know, right while you're uh, uh, eating your sandwich you can get death certificates ordered and some of them you can actually get right online. So a lot of the things that you think oh this is going to be terribly time consuming. I I you know shouldn't even start this actually in that, you know, hour or 50 minutes or so you can get done and uh, feel like well okay, I've pushed that family tree one step you know backward in time.
0: Absolutely. In fact, I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, sometimes when you're wrapping it up late at night because you've been doing a little spree and you've got this little checklist of things that you wish you had time to do you could just kind of jot those things down and stick them in your wallet or your purse and just check one of them off at lunchtime
3: exactly some of the things even you, know, you can do at lunch for planning for future research for example if you happen to live near or have worked near a uh, family history center well, you know that's great you can go down and um, order some microfilm to you know use on your next uh, when you've got more time but if you don't you can still access the catalog online and plan so that the next time you go there you've already got your list and you know what microfilm you know that you need to uh, that you want to order
0: oh that's a great tip I mean because you can make so much better use of your time when you go in armed with that list can't you
3: exactly and not everything I talk a lot about, things you can do if you've got, you know, a computer. A lot of people, if they're taking the lunch hour, they're sitting at their desk. Uh, if they're at an office, they've typically got a computer. But it, it doesn't have to involve a computer. Sometimes it's just something as simple as a phone. For example, at lunch hour, a good time, gobble that sandwich, and then, you know, make that phone call to some relative that you've been meaning to pester to, you know, to quiz to get the uh, uh, answers from about your genealogy. Uh, it's one of those things I sort of I learned the hard way not to uh, you know put off your those older relatives. Let's be honest, will not be around forever. So you want to um, take a few minutes and you know they'll be thrilled to hear from you, and you can ask those questions about oh you know so what did great Uncle Harry do and you know when did they move to Missouri and ask those kind of questions. Uh, it's an hour's about right for that kind of conversation. Any more than that you know, your ear will start to hurt and they'll be uh, getting bored. So even uh, if, if you don't have a computer sitting in front of you, you can pick up that phone and still make
0: some progress. You know, that's such a great point because um, it, it's like my mom used to tell me when I was raising my kids when they were little, you know, the housework will wait, but babies don't wait. That's right. And it's exactly. just like, you know, documents will wait. They'll be there online. But your older relatives aren't going to be able to wait.
3: Exactly right. I mean, I know I was going to attend a genealogy conference years ago in Portland, where my aunt lived, and I thought, well, that would be a perfect time, you know, to really to pick her brain because she was sort of the last one who knew everything. And you know, sadly, she passed away just a couple of weeks before I would have gotten there. Now I wished I'd picked up the phone, you know, and and uh, talked to her when I had the chance. So it's one of those things you don't want to put off. And lunch hour is a perfect time to, you know, make that phone call. But otherwise, you putting
0: off oh that's such a great idea and you know going back to your idea about google books um i know for for some of us when we're in the workplace there are restrictions on where you can go online just because of you know corporate reasons but i would think that google would be one site that they probably would allow and so that's a really great way to to make use of that too so all of these are terrific ideas for making the most of that limited time that we have
3: well thanks The the Google Books, I just have had a lot of fun with. And in one case, for example, you can find books that you didn't even know existed. Uh, Sometimes, you know, privately published or very obscure. Uh, You know, I uh, was searching Google Books, which is books.google.com, and uh, came across uh, a thousand page Vanity Press book about my fifth great uncle, William Pugh. uh, And right off of Google, you're able to click and order it, and uh, it cost only $4.81. Obviously, it was probably not a big bestseller, you know. (laughs) Uh, But for me, it's, you know, filled with uh, things not only about my distant uncle, but about, uh, you know, my direct ancestors who were related to him. I didn't even know that book existed, but by searching uh, for ancestral names and places in Google Books, I turned it up and few days later there it came.
0: Oh that's amazing. There you are spending your lunch break with your fifth great uncle. (laughs) And of
3: course now I can take the uh you know book to the office and that's another thing to do during the lunch hour is you know pour through those thousand pages to find the genealogical nuggets that I really care most about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can read David Frixell's article, 14 Genealogy Tasks that You Can Do on Your Lunch Break, in the January 2009 issue of Family Tree Magazine. David, thank you so much for joining us. You're a wealth of information as usual.
3: Thanks so much.
0: Veterans Day is in November, I thought we'd highlight a military-focused website. One of my favorites that you'll find on the Family Tree Magazine's 101 Best Websites list this year is the Civil War Soldiers and Sailors System, which you can find at itd.nps.gov cwss. And as always, I will have that link for you in this episode's show notes at the Family Tree Magazine website. Now the Civil War soldiers and sailors system is a cooperative effort by the National Park Service, the NPS, and several other public and private partners. It's an effort to computerize information about the Civil War. The goal of the CWSS is to increase the American people's understanding of this really important time in American history by making information about it widely accessible. The website is broken up into several categories and I'm going to touch on some of the highlights. The first section to take a look at is the soldiers area of the website. It includes 6.3 million soldier names from the National Archives, which are compiled by NPS's partners in the CWSS project. Volunteers in over 36 states helped with the data entry from 44 states and territories. You can search by first and last name, state, whether they were Union or Confederate, their unit number, and even the function that they performed, such as being in the infantry or cavalry. Now, the MPS and its CWSs partners are also committed to eventually include the names of all Union and Confederate naval personnel. But for now, you can explore the Union African American Sailors Index under the Sailors section of the website. The next area to explore is the Regiments area. If you know which regiment your ancestors served in, you can search the histories of Union and Confederate regiments, which are linked to soldiers' names and the battle histories. These are really a fascinating read. You'll find background on the battles our ancestors fought and the names of some of the soldiers that may have served alongside them. Now, these unit histories are linked to histories of the 364 most significant Civil War battles already on the Internet from the NPS's American Battlefield Protection Program. In the Prisoners section, you'll find prisoners' records of Union prisoners at Andersonville and Confederate prisoners at Fort McHenry. You can use the search function to find the record that you're looking for, or you can just browse through the histories. There's also a great section on cemeteries on the website. The National Park Service manages 14 national cemeteries, and all but one of which is related to a Civil War battlefield park. The NPS is planning on listing all names of burials in these cemeteries on the site. The first phase involves data taken from written records of Poplar Grove National Cemetery at Petersburg National Battlefield and also includes the images of the headstones. Just click on the cemeteries link to search for names in the Poplar Grove records. And finally, there is the Medal of Honor section, which includes information on over 1,200 Civil War soldiers and sailors who received the Congressional Medal of Honor. Now, I've just touched on the highlights of the Civil War soldiers and sailors system. You can explore it for yourself by going to itd.mps.gov slash cwss or just clicking on the link in the show notes. With Thanksgiving right around the corner, we start to think a bit more about family traditions, preserving the ones that we have and perhaps researching and implementing ones from long ago. Well, in the Best of Family Tree magazine segment, I've invited author and teacher Lisa Alzo to come back to the show and share some ideas from her December 2006 article on researching and preserving family traditions. It was called Customs Made. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, so Lisa, I was just reading through your article again. And I'm wondering, should we just jump right in and have you tell us about wearing a cloth full of sauerkraut around your neck when you had the mumps?
4: Sure, (laughs) go right ahead. (laughs) I love that story. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, Yeah, when I was about eight or nine years old, I had the mumps, and my Slovak grandmother decided to employ one of her home remedies, and it was to cook sauerkraut, which is a typical Slovak food and uh, you put wrapped it in a soft cloth it was um i guess it was a, a cloth diaper that was you know had been you know cleaned and you know washed and and so she you know we had the soft cloth and my mom pressed it against you know my neck and oh. i just remember i remember having to wear this and i have pictures of it and uh my cousins would tease me <laughs> mercilessly <laughs> and it was just awful but uh it worked
0: and it was one of those long time rituals or, or medicinals that, uh, they used that they counted on and, and probably passed down through the generations, right?
4: Yeah, they did. It was, yeah, it was passed down through the family. They had a lot of these home remedies and, uh, my, my mother remembers drinking care, you know, a little bit of kerosene when she had a sore throat and, and other, uh, rituals that, oh you know, they didn't have the medicines that we do today, but they made do with what they had. And, um, but, unfortunately t- the effect it had on me is i can't be in a room where sauerkraut is cooking or <laughs> i can't eat it and so it's a, that's what i said in the article imagine a walk who can't eat sauerkraut
0: oh gosh well you know that that story and your whole article um Really made me think about the fact that, you know, when we interview our relatives, um, we don't always necessarily think to ask about those stories. And yet those stories and the traditions and rituals are so much the context of our ancestors' lives, aren't they? So y- tell us a little bit about how we can find those and how we can kind of capture them.
4: Well, the first thing to do is if, you know, if you do have relatives, you know, definitely, you know, sit down and, and, and ask them. Make that a part of your oral history interview. Don't just ask about the names, the dates, and the places, but, but ask these questions, you know, why have we done this, you know, year after year at Christmas time? Or, you know, w- you know, why do we make a certain food? Or why do we, you know, do a, you know, a, a, have a certain practice of, of gift giving or whatever it is, and then recipes too. Uh, that's another thing. If, if you're lucky enough maybe to have papers or recipes or cookbooks, you can always, uh, go ahead and, and take a look through those, and, and hopefully you have somebody in your family that you can still interview and, and talk to about them, and, and, uh, maybe even teach you how to make them.
0: Well, that's a great idea. Now, for some of us, we might look into our, our family's background and think, Gosh, I don't really see any old customs there, or nobody seems to remember them. Um, but you had some ideas in your article about how a person could even start new ones, or do some research on their heritage and use that as the springboard to starting some new customs in your own family.
4: Oh, absolutely! You know, and of course, the internet has so much great information today. You can just you know do a Google search on you know your ethnicity or the the different customs and. And you can find a lot just on the internet, or go to the library and look up books. There, are, you know, many many books on on customs, rituals, folklore, practices. So there are, there are many sources you can check, even if you don't have family members. and And the article, you know, did cover a, a great number of those those sources that you can consult.
0: And I like that idea too, because it might interest you know if, if our children and our grandchildren. Um, kind of get interested and in, and come to look forward to these every year. Then perhaps that will even foster more of an interest down the road in
4: more about the family history. Absolutely, and you, you can start your own, you know, tradition. You know, maybe it's a family ornament. Maybe you, you know, buy your child or make maybe even make an ornament. Use an old photograph or, or you know, maybe. Uh, find something creative that you could do together as a family and then year after year make an ornament and do that for a tree or even like for birthdays you could have different different traditions, maybe make a special kind of cake or there are many, many different things that you can do to involve children and, and other members of the family and even family reunions are a good time to do that too.
0: You bet. It is so fun to see how the kids really look forward to, we're going to do that again, aren't we? We're going to, we always do that, you know, and it kind of gives them a sense of security within the family.
4: Right. In our family, we do a, we do a a gift giving thing every year where we just, we do sort of a a round robin where uh, some, you, we set an amount and everybody brings a gift, uh, you know, under $10 and you wrap it up and it's anonymous and then you pick numbers and you just play a game and, and everybody looks forward to that every year. So things like that.
0: And I would think, you know, as a a final thought that um, capturing that, say on a scrapbooking page or in a little home video or something where you kind of show that, but you document what it is you're doing, how it started. So future generations will know where these family traditions came from, huh?
4: Absolutely. And with today's technology, it's so easy to, to document Like you said, use a video or, you know, if you, like you said, scrapbooking, that is very popular. And people have digital cameras and you can have family websites and share information with with folks on on the website. So uh, there, there are endless possibilities with today's technology, and I think that's great.
0: Well, all great ideas. You can find Lisa Alzo's article, Customs Made, um, even though it was back in December of 2006, it is still available for purchase as a download from the online store at Valmetry Magazine or on the 2006 Back Issue CD. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast
4: today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: In today's Library Spotlight, we're going to explore the New England Historic and Genealogical Society Library in Boston, which was featured in the July 2008 issue of the Family Tree Magazine as a Libby Award winner. Libraries were chosen based on their outstanding collections and resources available nationwide, and it was based on a survey sent out to librarians, so they sure know what they're talking about. I am so happy to have with us today D. Brenton Simons, who has served as President and CEO of the New England Historic and Genealogical Society since December of 2005. Welcome to the show, Brenton.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Now, Brenton, for those fortunate enough to have visited your library in the Back Bay neighborhood of Boston, they know that you have a wonderful library and archive. But I would love to have you kind of take us on sort of a audio tour of your library for those of us who haven't been there yet, so we'll kind of know what to look forward to.
5: Sure. Well, I'd love to tell you uh, more about it. Uh, As you know, we were founded in 1845, so we're the oldest genealogical society in America and the largest membership organization of our kind in the country. And we're really proud of our library. As you say, it's seven stories. We have more than 200,000 printed volumes and more than 28 million manuscript items. So our collection is housed throughout our headquarters, and we have, of course, a reference collection, we have microfilm collections, we have an entire floor dedicated to our manuscripts and archives, we have rare books, and uh, all manner of other things that a library that's 163 year- years old would, would have collected.
0: Oh, it sounds like a genealogical haven.
5: Yes. And our collections, uh, while we're known, of course, for our New England collections, I'd hasten to add that we have outstanding collections for New York and Eastern Canada and the Mid-Atlantic. And we also have um, some great study projects, like the Great Migration Study Project, which is uh, a study we're doing of every immigrant who came to New England between 1620 and 1640. So these are all resources that you can use when you visit us, and many of them you can uh, use when you visit us online. And the thing that I would like to most tell your listeners about, though, are our staff of experts. We have 20 full-time genealogists with a range of uh, areas of expertise, and they're there to help uh, visitors or uh people who use our website and need guidance in their research, and that's a free service.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And you make such a great point that the holdings are not just exclusive to New England. So when you go on the website, you can do a lot of prep work ahead of time to know what you want to look into. And and as you say, you can even tap into those experts before you go and when you get there.
5: That's right.
0: That's wonderful. Well, I always ask folks, you know, these various amazing libraries, what's one of your favorite holdings? Do you have some some favorite collections there at the library?
5: Sure. Well, I love our art and and fine arts and antiques, but one of the things that I really treasure are the papers and artifacts around John Hancock, the signer of the Declaration of Independence. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, believe it or not, John Hancock's wing chair is in my office, and we have some wonderful... Uh, family records for the Hancock family, and I think it's just emblematic of the sort of treasure you can find at our society. And so for one of the great American patriots, we're the headquarters for uh, for his family's papers.
0: Oh, that sounds fascinating, right in your office, huh?
5: Yes, (laughs) and occasionally someone gets to touch it or even sit on it.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds fantastic. Um, All of you listening, you can visit the New England Historic and Genealogical Society Library, at NewEnglandAncestors.org and if you're planning a visit in person you can just click on the Visit NEHGS link it's at the top of the homepage, and you're going to find everything that you need right there on the page Brenton, thank you so much for coming and sharing a few moments with us on the show and getting us revved up to make a visit to Boston
5: Well, please come visit us
0: Wonderful, thank you Bye-bye For joining me for this November 2008 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, get your November 2008 issue of the magazine to read David Frixell's article, 14 Genealogy Tasks You Can Do on Your Lunch Break. Next, delve into the regiment histories and online records of your Civil War ancestors at the Civil War Soldiers and Sailors System website. Then customize your research with Lisa Alzo's article, Customs Made, which is available from the Family Tree Magazine website, where you can order the December 2006 back issue or the 2006 compilation CD that contains all the great issues that year. And take a visit online to the wonderful library at the New England Historic and Genealogical Society in Boston at newenglandancestors.org. I'll have links for you in the show notes for this episode to all of the websites we mentioned here today on the show. And you can find us on the web at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And if you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free Genealogy Gems podcast. And I am happy to announce this week that I launched a brand new podcast called Family History, Genealogy Made Easy, which I hope you'll take a listen to. Be sure to subscribe for free to both of my podcasts as well as this Family Tree Magazine podcast in iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.